Well, good morning again. If I did not uh, get the chance to meet you or you don't know who I am, my name is Rich Doring. I'm the lead pastor here and uh, thrilled to have you with us, thrilled to have you joining us online as well. And uh, you could help us out tremendously. We're trying to revamp and, and up our online game a little bit. And so we're doing some new things. One of those is a YouTube channel. And uh, that's really important for us to continue to move forward to reach people uh, for Christ through uh, online means. If you could subscribe to the YouTube channel, that would help us. That way it doesn't just become a long list of letters and numbers and all stuff. We can actually call it something. And uh, it could be like the real life church YouTube page. That was really long. It won't be that long because I'm not in charge. But I uh, want to encourage you to, uh, to subscribe to that. And again, thank you for joining us online as well. Two things really quick before we jump into the message today. Uh, important things I do want to cover. Last Sunday at this time, there's a whole crew of people from this church in this region who are running in the Chicago Marathon to raise money for World Vision. World Vision provides clean water for children all over the world. And uh, from what I understand, it was the hardest marathon most of them had ever run, just because it was warm, all kinds of different things going on. If you ran in that marathon or trained like me and didn't run in the marathon, would you stand right now so we can thank you? I know there's a couple of you in here, so would you stand? They were all in the first service. Are you kidding me? <laughs> you have to get up early if you're going to run, so that's what they did. They got up early. I bet there's some people right now online standing in their living room. So would you give them a hand? All right, good job. All right, the second really, really important thing, I want to talk to you about a sacrifice that I've made because that's the best way to do sacrifices is make them and then talk about them. Uh, I made a really big sacrifice. I had some inner turmoil going on this morning, so I sacrificed wearing a Green Bay Packers shirt today <laughs> for your sake, knowing that, no, no don't, no, no. Knowing that might open some wounds and, and some different things like that. But yes, I heard there is a game today, and I know a few people, particularly in the first service, you guys got to up your game in the second service. In the first service, there's a bunch of people in here with Packers stuff on. Like, I'm my people, my people. Jake was very helpful for me up here in his Packers shirt. So, all right. So, as I mentioned, marathon last week, and uh, it was probably about the second, third week of July. We did an eight-miler on a Saturday, and after that eight-miler, I realized my back was in bad shape. And so I paused my marathon training, didn't end up finishing it. And now, in recent weeks, I thought, okay, I need to get back into shape, need to kind of move towards that again. So what do I need to do? And it's got to be a little bit more low impact. All of that to say, I went out and bought a spin bike. So if you don't know what a spin bike is, it's just this stationary bike. It's a fancy stationary bike, and you just ride it. with You, know, you follow along on an app and, and different things like that. So here's the deal. I've been on that spin bike. I've had it for about a week and a half, two weeks, uh, about six, seven times. Now, I'm doing this to become stronger. I'm doing this to become more healthy. Those are my goals, stronger and more healthy. But all of those things come at a cost. There's a cost to that. As you're sitting on that bike and you're getting ready to go, if you look down between the pedals, there is right there, this insidious tool of torture. It's the resistance knob, okay? It's just right there. It's red, too, so you can't miss it. It's right there. 
Now, I learned, I found out that if I just ignore that and don't touch it, I can exercise for 20 minutes and not even break a sweat. It's pretty awesome. Riding a bike is fun at that point. I can cruise along and not even break a sweat if I just ignore that knob right there. But you and I know I'm never going to get healthier. I'm never going to get stronger unless there's a little bit of pushback, a little bit of resistance. I'm going to have to turn that knob a couple of turns. And when I do, all of a sudden the pedals start moving a little slower. There's some pushback. All of a sudden my breathing gets heavier. All of a sudden the sweat starts dripping. All of a sudden I start making all kinds of weird noises and all kinds of different things take place. But in the end, in the end, it's the resistance, right? It's that, it's that obstacle, it's the strain in the journey that actually produces the desired result. Jesus is inviting all of us, all of us into a journey. And his words are really, really simple. They're on the screen. He says, come, follow me. Come, follow me. Now, there's another word for that. It's discipleship. He calls us to follow him on a discipleship journey. The journey of discipleship, it's not all that much different, if I can push this analogy as far as it will possibly go. It's not that different from a spin class. The journey of discipleship. The resistance starts to increase. I mean, it, it's okay to admit that it's not always easy to follow Jesus. Isn't that true? Sometimes Jesus asks us to do things and say no to certain things that are hard to say no to. It, it gets difficult. There's some resistance in this journey of following Jesus. Sometimes the strain really becomes real, but then there are other times where finally you kind of get through something, you catch your breath, and man, there's a straightaway. And this is nice. It's, it's great to follow Jesus. And right when you catch your breath, sure enough, there's something else that comes that pushes back again on it. And it's this constant back and forth, back and forth. And you start, you start sweating and you try to catch your breath and you start thinking, man, am I going to make it? Am I going to make it? Well, if the goal of a spin class is health and wellness, the goal of the journey of discipleship is to be more like the one that we follow, which is Christ to be more Christ-like. We receive grace for that journey. We don't have to take that journey alone. And so the series that we're beginning today is really kind of a ride into the grace that you and I encounter as we follow Jesus, as we accept that command to come and follow him. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's what Jesus said. I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. And what he's describing when he says this, I'm the way, truth, and life, he's describing this very intimate, personal, deep reality, a relational reality. Real life, real life, and the way that we reach the goal happens through a person. Happens through a person. And it's a journey. It's about changing citizenship. It's about changing allegiances. It's about... Um, it's about moving from one kingdom to another kingdom. It's about not being conformed to the patterns of this world anymore, but being transformed, transformed. And when it happens, it happens one step, one spin class at a time. <laughs> it's a journey. When Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life, I'm, I'm sure that he, he could hardly imagine he thought that that would just be like some pretty painted saying somebody would paint on their living room wall. 
like it was a declaration. When Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, he wasn't making a declarative statement. It wasn't, I mean, it was a factual statement, but he wasn't declaring a fact. I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. He was making an invitation. It wasn't a declaration, it was an invitation. And the invitation was being offered when he said this to a group of men who honestly were scared to death, absolutely scared to death. Jesus had been preaching, and he'd been telling his disciples now for a little little while that, look, there's some stuff that's about to go down. Uh, I'm going to get arrested. It's not going to go well. I'm going to die. Okay. Well, the disciples, they freak out. They don't like this at all. They're, they're confused. They're agitated. They're nervous. I mean, Jesus just informed them that he would be killed and that he'd be leaving. And so they're kind of on edge, right? They're, I mean, they gave up a lot to follow Jesus, so they're, they're kind of on edge. So Jesus, to calm their nerves a little bit, he says, hey, guys, let's pull in a little bit. Let's huddle up. Let's have a meal. And I can think maybe in their minds they're thinking, all right, Jesus is going to kind of, hey, guys, I was exaggerating or, you know, whatever. But Jesus pulls them in for this meal, and uh, he does some different stuff. They're sitting there getting ready to eat, and what does he do? He strips down, wraps a towel around his waist, and decides it's a good time to go wash everybody's feet, which is just makes everybody uncomfortable, really. Then the next thing he does, he he did that to show them what kind of a servant he was, what kind of a leader he was, but then he, in the middle of this meal, just decides to declare that one of these people is going to betray him. That's generally a side conversation. That's not one you make in front of everybody else. He's like, by the way, somebody in this room right now is going to betray me. And then after that, he wraps up this whole thing by again telling them, look, friends, I'm going to be leaving, and you can't follow me. But, he says... I'm going ahead and I'm going to prepare, prepare a place for you. I'll come again. You know the way to the place that I'm going. Let me say that again. He says, you know the way to the place that I'm going. Now, I do this all the time. I'm, I get hard on the disciples just because I see myself in them all the time. And it's just kind of, it's the habit. You know, you talk smack about the disciples. They were slow to get it. Peter talked too much, all this other kind of stuff. So it's, it's easy to kind of ride hurt on these guys. But you do have to contextualize this a little bit. These guys have been following Jesus for three years. They've given up their careers, their livelihoods. They've spent time, massive amounts of time, away from their family. They've sacrificed all kinds of things to follow Jesus. And now their reputations as well. I mean, these guys are walking around, and they've got a giant target on them now. I mean, they already knew people didn't like Jesus. The religious people didn't like Jesus because of what he was teaching, what he was saying. They're lumped in with him. So there's an actual fear for their own livelihood and their life at this point. So there's a lot at stake. I'm not sure I would react well when Jesus says, hey, thanks for giving me the three years. I'm out. You guys are on your own, which is not what he said, okay? But that's what it would feel like, isn't it? That's exactly what it would feel like. I don't think I would react well in that situation, which is why I am so glad for a guy named Thomas. So Thomas gets a bad reputation all throughout history, but I am so glad for Thomas. I think every single people group needs a Thomas. If you're in a a friendship group, you got to go find a Thomas. Thomas is the guy who when something happens and everybody just kind of stands and looks at each other, Thomas is the one that says, I'll talk, I'll say something. I don't like this. 
every group needs a Thomas. And Thomas speaks up. We see it in John 14, 5 through 6. He says, Lord, we do not know where you're going. We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I want you to look at his question again. It says, how can we know the way? The way. So here's what I know, and it's not much. Um, Everybody, everybody is asking spiritual questions, whether you want to admit it or not. When God made us, he set eternity. Ecclesiastes says, God set eternity in the hearts of men. There is something in us that's looking for something, something to worship. And God has placed eternity, set eternity in the hearts of men. So there's something in all of us. The issue becomes, if we're asking spiritual questions, how we go about answering them. That's where it gets a little bit sticky, a little bit sticky. Um, Our Western worldview accompanied by this really pervasive consumer mentality that we bring to everything, is really, really individualistic. We're very much in this for what I get. What did this do for me today? So it sounds like this. What, it, what is true for me is my truth. What's true for me is my truth. Who am I to judge your path? In fact, we, everybody seems to know this scripture, judge not lest you be judged. I'm not supposed to judge anybody, so who am I to judge your path? That's not my job. As long as you're fulfilled and and you're authentically true to yourself, then it doesn't matter what path you take. Just as long as you're sincere, one path is as appropriate as another. You do you. I hate that statement. You do you. You do you, I'll do me, and we're good, and we'll both get there, and we're, we're authentic and true to ourselves. Truth is relative. To, to your situation and what you feel. If you hear the words that Jesus is saying, he says, come, follow me. But then he says, I am the way. Okay. He didn't say, I'm one of the ways. Jesus didn't come out and say, you can choose me, but, you know, I mean, there's other viable choices too. I mean, you can, you can choose other choices too. Uh, he didn't say, as long as you're sincere, listen, the... The goal is sincerity. As long as you're sincere and you're fulfilled and you feel fulfilled, whichever path you take, that's all right. That's all right. His words are really pointed. Fairly narrow-minded, actually, if you think about it, particularly when it comes to the you-do-you mentality that we have in the world, and honestly, that is pervasive in the church world. In the church world, there's this idea of you do you, you know, I won't judge you, and and all this kind of back and forth, kind of wishy-washiness. I'm sure that those early hearers of the gospel had the same reaction that some people do today. This all sounds really exclusionary, exclusive. I am the way, seriously? What kind of ego trip are you on? I am the way? Here's the deal. What Jesus is saying is very exclusive. But at the same time, it is possibly one of the most inclusive things that he could ever say. Why do I say that? How can, how can this be exclusive and inclusive at the same time? It's because the invitation is for anybody, no matter what. Listen, scrape the bottom of the barrel 
Think about the worst, the absolutely worst thing somebody could do. And the invitation goes to that person too. That's very inclusive. Very inclusive. Just, just this morning, our world is a broken, dark place. It's a broken, dark place. And the internet has made so many things accessible that you don't have to go very far to find that brokenness. Even just this morning on my newsfeed, on my newsfeed in Philadelphia, on the public train, a woman was raped. And the main storyline was how many people were standing by, even with phones in hand, and didn't do anything about it. Our world is a dark, broken place. But God loves so much. But God loves so much. There's so much brokenness. Even in that, though, Jesus says, scrape the bottom of the barrel and the invitations for the invitations for that person, too. That's not normal. That is not normal. That is not a natural human response. But that's what grace looks like. The invite is for everyone. It's an all-inclusive invitation. Nobody's been left off the guest list, no one. And that's why we begin very briefly with why this is amazing grace. Um, Every one of us is guilty of taking the wrong way. Isaiah, in the book of Isaiah, wrote, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has gone to our own way, our own way. I've done that. Uh, When presented with a fork in the road, there are times when I choose the wrong path. Are we real enough to admit that? Can we own that about ourselves? The good news is if we do, the gospel of Jesus Christ is for people like me, (laughs) for people like us. Instead of leaving us at that fork in the road, listen, Here's what Jesus does. Here we are, we're asking these spiritual questions. We're thinking we've got to figure this out all on our own. I've got to, I've got to figure out what the way is. And all of a sudden we come to a fork in the road that's got a couple choices or 17 choices. Or which way am I going to choose that's going to get me to where I need to be, which is truth. I want life. I want truth in life. So I'm going to figure out which way it is. And all of a sudden at that juncture in the road, Jesus shows up and says, come, follow me. I'm the way. I'll take you. You don't have to figure out which way is the way. He's the way. He became the way. Jesus said, come and follow me. When Shelly and I were living in Racine, Wisconsin, if you look at a map of Wisconsin, Racine's literally almost completely down in the corner right above Chicago on the lake. So everybody's like, oh, you're from Wisconsin. Well, kind of like Chicago North um, is what that was. But... Racine itself is a really old city, and it was a French trading place and all that kind of different stuff on the lake, and the layout of the city is really, really interesting. There's sections that are like neighborhoods, square blocks, you know, and all that kind of different stuff, but because it was an early trading place and there's a river that runs through Racine, there's some wompy intersections in Racine. I kid you not, you'll be going along just fine, and next thing you know, you'll come to an intersection that has like six different roads coming into it all at the same time. Like, what just happened? And it's it's interesting if you've never been to it because you just kind of freeze. You're like, I don't know. Do I turn my blinker on? I mean, I don't even know how this works. I know everybody complains about roundabouts. That's like in, in style to complain about roundabouts. God invented roundabouts for the city of Racine, okay? Because they needed them. 
there's multiple intersections in Racine that are just like that. You're going down Northwestern, and then Northwestern turns into Memorial over here. But oh no, there's State Street. And Spring Street's kind of hanging out over here saying, I'm going to play a trick on you. And all of a sudden, it's just all these different intersections are coming together at one place. So I say all of it to say our house was about four or five blocks off of Lake Michigan. I-94, the interstate's about eight miles inland, okay? And so if somebody would come to visit us and come to town for the first time, trying to give them directions to get to our house, there was no good way to get to our house. You'd be doing just fine, but then we'd be like, you're going to turn left, but as soon as you turn left, you're going to want to turn right really fast. And all of a sudden, there's going to be this and this. And they can put it into their GPS, but listen, when you come up to an intersection, you've got six roads facing you. All of a sudden, that GPS doesn't do much for you anymore. You can't look at that many street signs at once. So what was always easier is just to give somebody directions to spot out on the interstate. And I'd, I'd say, why don't you give me a call when you're about five minutes from that spot? And they'd give me a call, and I would go drive out there, and i listen closely. I would meet them where they were. And then when I would get there, I'd say, come, follow me. And I would get them home. Better yet, Better yet, I'd say, come with me. I'll take you there. I'll take you there. Listen, that is exactly what Jesus has done for us. It's exactly what Jesus has done for us. He doesn't just show you a better way. He doesn't give you a road map. He becomes the way. He becomes the way. He walks with us to our destination, to our goal. He becomes the way that we reach our goal. That's what Jesus does. In 1748, there was a a slave trader, and he was caught in a really, really bad storm, and uh, he'd given his life to the intercontinental chattel slave trade. Uh, He was really good at it, brutally stripping men and women of any human dignity, reducing people created in the image of God to commodities to be bought and sold dehumanized, divorcing people of color from their bodies, robbing a race of people from any sense of place or identity, and then supplanting all of that with white supremacy to boot. Um, He was really good at it. But in that storm in 1748, John Newton prayed to God and said, please spare me. And he survived the storm. Uh, he started seeking God's direction in his life. He actually became an Anglican priest. And then, in Great Britain, joined forces with several other men who were interested in abolishing the international slave trade, the very thing that he helped to create. He joined with them. So at 82 years old, on his deathbed, this is what he said. He said, I remember only two things. I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. I am a great sinner, but Christ is a great Savior. So it's no wonder that he could so eloquently write the words of amazing grace. Amazing grace. One of my favorite things, and if you go online uh, to Facebook, I 
put this in the comments in one of the feeds and on YouTube. One of my favorite things I wanted to share with you, I can't really show it online anymore just because they'll interrupt the feed, but there's a guy named Wintley Phipps. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He's great. He's sung at presidential inaugurations and prayer services and all kinds of different stuff. Wintley Phipps. And he sings a version of Amazing Grace that's just super powerful. He brings a bunch of history into it and the reality that um, Amazing Grace, as well as a bunch of other African-American spirituals, are all played on the black notes of a keyboard. You need to Google it. It's one of the coolest things ever. But he starts talking about how Amazing Grace, Amazing Grace is played only on the black notes of a keyboard. And he said, John Newton, who wrote that, probably heard that on a slave ship, that melody. He says, it, and he's done some research and some studying on it, says it sounds very much like a West African sorrow chant. But what is it? What is it about this that makes it so amazing? What is grace? This is our definition we're going to kind of work from. God's loving response to undeserving humanity. Listen, to fully describe grace is impossible. There's no words. It's unearned favor. It's undeserved love. It's favor given to those who deserve the opposite. It's no strings attached. You can call it whatever you want, but it is amazing. It's absolutely amazing. It falls outside of our categories. It defies our natural tendencies and our, our ability to describe exactly what it is. It's too grandiose. It's not something that is a part of who we are, our natural makeup, to understand how immense a love can be that you would love a sinner such as I, that regardless of what you've done, there is love for you. It's an amazing grace. God does something for us that we cannot do for ourselves. Favor when we literally have earned the opposite of favor. That's what grace is. In fact, the original language speaks of grace as a gift that brings joy, that brings joy. Our response to grace really is nothing but thanksgiving and gratitude and consecrated life. Now, that doesn't mean we owe something to God for the grace that we receive. You can't earn grace. It'd be like if somebody showed up at your house, maybe it's your birthday or something, they, they've wrapped up a really nice present for you, they put it on your table, happy birthday or whatever, this gift is for you, you open it up and then you say, okay, how much do I owe you? That's not a gift anymore, is it? That's a transaction. Grace is not transactional. There's nothing transactional about it. You cannot pray more, listen very carefully, you cannot pray more, you cannot give more, you cannot serve more, you cannot sacrifice more, even though those are good things. You can't do any of those more to get God to somehow say, oh man, look at how good she's doing. In fact, she's doing so good, I love her more today than I even did yesterday because I look at all that she is doing. Listen, that's transactional. We can't earn it. Those, are payment. Those, those aren't payment for grace received. If we pray more and serve more and sacrifice more and give ourselves more over to what God wants to do in our lives and transform us from the inside out and be engaged in the things that he cares about in this world, all of those things, they're a response to the amazing grace that we've experienced in our life. That's not to earn God's grace. 
It's a response to that, that grace. And, and as we, this is a very introductory sermon. So as we kind of pull this to a close, I just want to give you three things to think about, to mull over when it comes to grace. When it comes to grace. And the first is this. It's very personal. Grace is personal. I think a lot of times when we think of grace, even when we sing about grace, we're singing about a thing. And I think that does a little bit of a disservice to it. Grace isn't a thing. It's not a thing. It's not a substance. It's not a product that we receive. That's not what grace is. Grace is personal because we receive grace through a person, Jesus. In thinking about our world that we live in today, and I know that sometimes you hear me think, you know, we're not to be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And I think it's sometimes, particularly when a preacher stands on a platform, it's easy to think, oh, world bad, us good. That's not, that's not what I'm thinking when I say those things. But you know as well as I do, we live in a broken world. We live in a broken world. And I've been thinking a lot about how we respond as Christians to the world around us. Um, I've been doing a lot of work, a lot of research. Uh, next year, we're going to kind of do something I've never really done before, but we're going to have an annual theme. It's going to kick off in January. I'm not going to let the cat out of the bag quite yet on what that is, but I can definitely tell you it's going to revolve a lot around what do we as a church present to the world that's so divided, that's so broken? Do we add to that brokenness by the things we say, by the things we do, by the way we act? Or are we somebody that are we a body of Christ that, that somebody in the world can point to and say, oh my word, that's, that's what God is like. Those people truly represent something that's not of this world. They're, they're truly a city on a hill, a light shining in the darkness. What does that look like for us as a church? And in thinking about all of that, I've been thinking about the early Christians I'm talking about those, those Christians that lived in those first couple centuries. I think about the way you and I sometimes get caught up in trying to win a fight or trying to win a platform or some kind of ideology. But as I think about those early Christians, they didn't preach a system. Those early Christians didn't preach a politic. They didn't preach a platform. They didn't even preach a religion. They just talked about a person. That's what they did. They talked about a person, and in fact, it got them in trouble because they were talking. They might not have gotten in trouble if they would have just picked a side politically, but instead, they kept talking about a person. Those people did not lose their lives and give their lives for a religious platform or some soundbite or some political party or some culture war or whatever it was. They gave their lives. They literally sacrificed themselves for and to a person. Jesus Christ. That's what they did. They didn't give their lives up for a theory. They didn't give it up for an idea. They didn't hang their hat on hot takes and retweetable life quotes. They, they didn't do any of that stuff. They gave up their lives to and for a person, a real, crucified, buried, risen person. That's who they gave their lives to and talked about. And this journey of grace that we're on, and we're going to discover this in the weeks ahead, is not about following a system. It is not about following a manual. 
It is not about following a preacher. It is not follow, following an ideology. It's not following a religion. It's not following anything like, it's not denomination. We follow, worship, and serve Jesus. That's all there is to it. We follow and worship and serve Jesus Christ, which totally makes sense. If he says, come and follow me, and he says, he's the way, the truth, and the life, and if we're on this journey and the end goal is maturity in Christ, that we might be like him, this is about a person. It's about a person, which means something. Grace is also very costly. It's costly. Have any of you ever heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in fact, on your paper there, if you've got a paper coming in, I think that I put the reference for the book on the paper. He wrote a book once called The Cost of Discipleship. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was killed by Nazis at the end of World War II. And uh, he was a pacifist, but he was also fairly anti-Nazi and uh, uh, really critiqued Nazis for their treatment of Jews and Christians and ended up dying. They hung him. And so, um, yeah, he died, and they, they killed him. But this is what he states in this book called The Cost of Discipleship. Cheap grace. Cheap grace is the deadly enemy of the church and the greatest foe of discipleship. It has been the ruin of more Christians than anything else. In other words... You and I have been given the most amazing gift in this grace. Something we didn't earn or deserve and God bestowed love and favor upon us. And it came at a cost. But then when we choose a different way, we've just cheapened that grace. What he's done for us. And he said cheap grace is the enemy of the church. He goes on to say grace is costly because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It cost God the life of his son. What cost God much cannot be cheap for us. We cannot treat cheaply what God has done for us. This journey that we're on, it starts with grace. It's enabled and empowered by grace. It's infused by grace from the beginning of it to the end of it. The reality is you and I waste the grace we waste, waste the grace that we're given if we neglect to follow, if we neglect to obey the way of Jesus, if when we come to that fork in the road, we intentionally do not go the direction that God wants us to go, that he calls us and pulls us and enables us to go. We cheapen what was done for us. Yes, listen, grace is free. It's free. You do not earn it. But it is experienced on the journey of discipleship becoming more and more like the one that we're following. And in the end, as I hope that we're all going to discover by the end of this series, and discover grace is amazing. It just, it's amazing. Uh, I love movies. I love good movies that kind of pull you in and you kind of forget about life for a bit. It's kind of fun. I love good acting, good drama. In 1987, there was a movie that came out called The Last Emperor. Has anybody ever heard of that? The Last Emperor. It was a great movie, and uh, it was about the last emperor of China, which happened to be a little boy. Okay, so this little boy was anointed as the last emperor of China. And so 
the film really follows this life of luxury and spoil and, and all this stuff for this last emperor of China and all this other kind of different stuff as it goes along. So again, imagine you've got this little boy who's been appointed as the last emperor of China and has anything you'd ever dream. I can't think of a worse thing to give a little boy. <laughs> I've raised three. So anything, anything at all. His brother comes along one day and asks him a question. The question is, what happens if you do something wrong? That's what the brother asks the last emperor. What happens if you do something wrong? Like you're naughty. Okay. And the last emperor says, someone else is punished. Someone else is punished. And then to illustrate it, he goes and he breaks something. And sure enough, a servant gets drug in and beaten for his decisions and actions. That sounds unjust, right? Doesn't sound right. It's inappropriate. That's not how justice works. This is why grace is amazing. It takes none of that into account. It just loves even so. Even so. The pattern of this world in earthly kingdoms is injustice. But then another king showed up. Another king showed up and, and he was different. He started washing people's feet. Started hanging out with sick people. He touched them. He befriended poor people and prostitutes. He socialized with people way outside of the religious world. Socialized with outcasts. And then, when his servants fell in sin, instead of them being punished, the king took the hit. The king took the hit. The free gift of grace that you receive from Jesus is only free because he paid the cost for it. He paid the cost. So, how does this play out in our everyday life? How does, how does this amazing grace play out for you sitting here today or watching online. What does this look like in, in real life? What does this look like? How do you experience this grace in the journey of following the way? What difference does this grace make in your day-to-day -day life? That's where we start next week. And one of the ways that we're going to start is by discovering just how sneaky this grace is, how sneaky it is. You may be sitting here today or you're online and, and you're thinking, you know, I've not accepted that grace. I mean, some of the stuff that I'm talking about right now, you're just kind of like, well, you know, I've never really accepted that grace to begin with in my life. You may be sitting here and you need to begin that journey. Every story has a beginning. I want to encourage you today to pray. Um, God's grace is absolutely amazing and it begins with admitting that we are broken, that we do have sin in our lives, and we believe that God loves us enough to actually do something about that. He doesn't want to leave us in our brokenness. He wants to give us grace. He wants to forgive us of that sin, that brokenness that's caused distance and brokenness between us and him, and let's be honest, brokenness between us and each other. Sin causes that division. The pattern of this world is division. We've been divided from God and divided from each other, and God has come to reconcile us in Jesus Christ to forgive us of the sin in our lives so that we one with him, one with each other, one with all of creation. 
but you have to admit that you have that brokenness, that you have that sin, and believe that Jesus Christ lived the sinless life, a life that you and I couldn't live, gave his life on the cross, took our sin to the cross, and we've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer we who live, but he who lives in us, and he forgives us for that sin. And today, if we profess that faith in Jesus Christ, we are experienced the fullness of amazing grace. That's the beginning of the journey. The rest of our lives then are lived out experiencing this amazing grace on a daily basis. Maybe you need to pray today. And what I want to do is I just want to pray very briefly. And if you're in that place today where you need to pray and accept what Christ has done for you, I want to encourage you just right where you are, you can just pray silently right where you are. And just repeat after me and I'm going to pray. Father, I just come before you today. And I know there's brokenness and sin in my life. And I don't understand all of this. But I do know that I've chosen ways that are away from you. But I also believe that you love me so much that you would send Christ to die in my place so that I would not suffer the consequences of me choosing the wrong way. And so I want to turn around right now and go a different way. I accept what Christ has done for me. I accept his forgiveness for my sin. And today, as best as I know, I put my life in your hands. I follow Jesus. And I trust in his grace on this journey through the rest of my life. It's in his name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that, um, you'd be doing a, a, us a huge service. If you would fill out a Connect card, just, just put your name on it and say, I prayed, and drop it in the box. It'll come right to me. Uh, or if you're online, send a message to the Facebook page. Do whatever you've got to do. Let us know so we can walk this journey of grace with you. Uh, we're not an island, and this journey of discipleship and grace is not a solo project, okay? Uh, I ride that spin bike by myself, and that's probably the worst part. I should probably go to a spin class where there's other people for support and encouragement so they can help bear my burdens as well. So I want to encourage you. We've got life groups, Bible studies, all kinds of different things. I want to encourage you not to go alone. But let us know so we can walk with you. I'm going to ask you to stand if you would. I'm going to pray us out. Father, thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy in our lives. We thank you so much for the day that you've given us. And Father, now would you use us to be conduits of your grace to the world that's around us. Uh, our mantra in this church is that we're for the region. Well, what does it mean, Father, for us to be for the region? What does it mean for us to be your ambassadors in our workplace and at school and and at home, and in our neighborhoods, and even at the gas station or the grocery store, wherever we find ourselves, Father, what does it mean for us to be for the region? What does it mean for us to love God and love others and serve the world? It means first and foremost that we have received and embraced your amazing grace in our lives, and now you just want to use us, Father, as instruments of your grace in the lives of others, that others might be drawn to you. And so would you help us to submit ourselves and surrender ourselves so that you can use us as conduits of your grace today. And Father, be with these people. Put peace in their hearts today, joy in their hearts in the midst of their circumstances. 
draw them close to you. Make yourself known. It's in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Hey, God bless you. Thank you for being here today. And before you leave, turn to somebody, fist bump them, say, go pack, go.